We've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians and over the last six weeks our messages have had titles like God chooses us so that we would choose him, sealed by the Holy Spirit, in Christ we're reconciled to God and to each other and we are integral to his purposes, we are all ministers by the grace and power of God and then we talked about love and power and how Love is, the source, sorry, yeah, love is the source of power. And the last message that we had was growing up in Christ. And without having a little bit of the background of, of what we've been through already, it, it could be really hard to actually start to grasp what he's talking about in today's reading because in his letter, Paul has been building our understanding. He's been laying the foundations. He's been doing the groundwork for everything that is to follow. He's been revealing to us our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And our identity has changed from what we were. Right? I hope you understand that. If you're a Christian, you are a different person now to what you were before you were saved. And I hope when you read the Bible that you don't just pick out a verse or two or a sentence or two or, or even a paragraph without reading around it to see what God is, is saying in the overall message. So, for instance, if we look at the first couple of verses of today's reading, it says this. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And if we just come into this letter cold, right, and we just start reading right there, what's it sound like it's saying? It sounds like he's talking about those Gentiles, those other people, those people who are way off over there, those people who are far away from God, and those Gentiles, well, they're nothing like us, are they? We're nowhere near that bad. But the Gentiles are not those people over there. The Gentiles are not those people who are far away from God and we're the ones who are close. The Gentiles are the Ephesians. The Gentiles are the ones that he's writing to. The Gentiles are us. Back in chapter 2, he referred to them, he referred to the Ephesians as you Gentiles. And we covered this, I think it was our second week that we're into Ephesians. So what is a Gentile? Because we see that word often as we read our Bibles, the word Gentile. A Gentile is someone who is not one of the people of Israel. And a Gentile is someone who is not God's chosen people. See, before Christ, if you weren't one of God's chosen people, you were a Gentile. If you weren't one of the children of Israel, you had no hope of having any kind of relationship with God at all. And the Ephesians, well, they weren't Jews. And neither are we. Well, although I don't know everybody here, maybe you might have Jewish background, but most of us don't. And six weeks ago, we are studying chapter 2 and how in Christ, even those who are Gentiles, us, have been reconciled to God. And we've been reconciled to each other 
and we're integral to God's purposes. Something amazing has changed in our relationship with God. Go hard, John. <laughs> you, you've got our attention. That's, that's really good. <laughs> Something amazing has changed in our relationship with God. We once used to be alienated from God. We were separated from Christ. We were without hope and without God. What, basically what Paul was saying is we were God forsaken and good for nothing. But there has been a radical shift in our position with God. In Christ, everything has changed. We've been brought near to God. In Christ, we're no longer God forsaken because we're actually filled by God when the Holy Spirit lives in us. Um, in Christ, we're no longer without hope, we're filled with hope. In Christ, we're no longer good for nothing because in Christ we become integral to God's purposes. That's a radical shift. Now, I'm going to leave it at that because we covered a whole week on that a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that message on being brought near to God, um, you probably need to hear it. Or if you've heard it and you've forgotten it and want a refresher, you can always find it on our website. We've got the recordings, we've got the written version, or you can just ask me for a copy. So there's been a massive shift. Back in chapter 2 he referred to them and by extension to us as you Gentiles. But now he's talking about those Gentiles. We once were Gentiles and Gentile-like. We once were excluded from God but now through the blood of Christ we're not excluded any longer. We once were a people of the world but not any longer. We once were like those baking trays that stuff sticks to, um, but not any longer. Now, two weeks ago, we built on this thing and the topic was about living out the holy calling to which we've been called. And that's what we're really continuing on with today because with a great position comes a great responsibility. And the title of today's message is Transformed and living as the transformed creatures that we are. When I was an ag college student at Dolby, they used to give us a little taste of all the different types of industries and um, the place that I hated working the most was in the piggery. I hated it. I mean, I didn't, that wasn't the work so much. I didn't mind working with the pigs and, and doing all the jobs associated with that and I could even put up with the smell for a while while I was there. What I didn't like was when I left the piggery, the piggery seemed to come with me. <laughs> You'd smell it wherever you went. I mean, anybody who's ever worked with pigs or lived next door to piggery knows all about it. Anyway, you'd... When you left the piggery, you'd take your overalls off and you'd hang them up outside your dorm and, and, and whenever you'd walk past them, you'd smell it again. Oh, yuck. But, but even worse than that, the smell would go right through the overalls onto whatever you're wearing underneath your overalls anyway. And so when, when you know, in the middle of the day when you knock off for lunch, you, you sort of 
you didn't even have to stand in line sometimes in the dining room because people, oh, you can just go up the front, just get past us, you know. And then you'd get your lunch and, and in the dining room there's a little table set off over to the side with a big A2 sized picture of a very contented looking pig um, munching away on its tucker. And underneath it was a table and you guessed it, if you're on pigs, that's where you sat, away from everybody else, just totally excluded from everybody. Anyway, you'd come home late in the afternoon, you'd, you'd take your piggy overalls off and hang them up in your locker outside and, and then you'd go in and you'd have a shower and, and put on some clean clothes and, and, hey, you'd start to smell like a human again, except for your hands. You'd never get it off your hands, it sort of just stayed there. Um, but then at tea time you'd kind of line up and people would let you line up next to them then and, and at tea time you didn't have to go and sit at the piggy table because you are accepted. You, you just blended right on in. Anyway, you'd, you'd then, um, in the morning, you'd get up and, and get into nice clean work clothes and that'd all be good and you'd go over to breakfast and you could sit with everybody at breakfast but now comes the worst part of the day. Because you might have a few pairs of work clothes but how many pairs of overalls do we have? So after you cleaned your teeth all nice and fresh, ready to go to work, you go and grab those dirty stinking overalls. And that was the worst part of the day, was putting those pig overalls back on. And as soon as you did, just be stench right through me, the whole, whole thing. It was just wrong. It was, it was ugly. And as soon as you did it, your nice clean clothes would have the stench of pigs all over them, all over again. Paul tells us that the truth in Christ is that in Christ we put off our old self and we put on our new self. Now that's like when I'd come home at night, take off those dirty stinking piggy overalls and go and have a shower and get into nice clean clothes. And Paul says we put our old self and put on our new self. That is the true gospel. If the gospel that was preached to you was come to Christ and stay as you are, that's not the true gospel. If you've never been challenged that to be born again involves repentance as well as faith, then you've never been challenged by the true gospel. And to me, this is one of the greatest blessings of being a Christian. We take off the old self, that, that, that self which... Well, unless you, I'm going to be pretty blunt here. Unless you hate your old self, unless you despise your old sinful nature and get really frustrated and annoyed, I just don't want to be like this, unless you're like that about your old self, you're not ready to be a disciple of Christ. Because we have to come to the end of ourselves and have a true desire for God's holiness to take over from that to become a disciple of Christ. And we take off our old self, we call that repentance. We turn away from that and we turn toward Christ. And Christ gives us a brand new holy life. The rot sets in though when we're too in love with our old life to give it up. Now there's a challenge for us. Am I too in love with, with my old life to give it up. And so often we have to come to a point of absolute brokenness before we can recognise the futility of our old life 
and just how good it is to actually get rid of it. The old self has what Paul calls a futility of mind. Uh, does everybody, I know we've got a bunch of South Africans here, do you understand the word futility? Futility is like trying to build a sandcastle and put a little, mo- a little bank of sand around it to stop the waves from knocking it over. It's pointless. It, it, it's no way. It's not going to work. If Christ isn't at the centre of your thinking, if Christ isn't at the centre of your program, life is ultimately futile. Our whole world system, financial striving, you know, you you just work and work and work all your life to have more and more and more stuff so that when we die we can leave it all behind. That's futility. Even striving for health and fitness, uh, searching for meaning in life, building an empire. And I might shock a few of you here, but even the quest for family happiness and relational bliss is futile if Christ does not factor into your thinking or more properly if Christ is not central to your thinking because all of these things fade away they do not have any eternal value the quest for worldly pleasures and satisfactions and accomplishments are futile Some of the other attributes of the old self says the old self has a darkened understanding. That means you just don't get it. No no matter how much the truth stares you in the face, you just don't get it. The old self is alienated from the life of God. The old self is hard-hearted towards God and so it leads to ignorance. And this ignorance then leads to all sorts of delusions and so the old self... Seek satisfaction where no satisfaction can be found. The old self becomes callous. That, that means to lose all sensitivity. It means to be hardened against God. It means to become hardened against the activity of God in your life where God is wanting to transform you and challenge you in new things that he wants to change about you. And we can start to become callous. The old self gives gives itself up to sensuality and impurity. Actually, the old self has an insatiable appetite for trying all kinds of impurities and yet it's never satisfied. That's the old self. Thank God for the new self, eh? Does anyone want to thank God for the new self? Yep, that we can be born again that he can take that old self away and give us a new self. Paul says, now this I say, this is verse 17, this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Paul is really insisting here. He's drawing on all of the authority that he has as an apostle. He's identified himself earlier. Hey, I'm an apostle. I've got authority to speak in the name of Christ. And here he says, "I, I say... And I testify. That's like I'm insisting on this. This is a must do. He says that this is not the way that you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, if Paul is saying this, if Paul is insisting on this, if Paul is using the full weight of his authority as an apostle of the Lord to command this to a bunch of Christians, that's telling me something. That's telling me that it's possible for someone who has begun to follow Christ, for someone who earlier on has taken off their old self and left their old self behind, it's possible for them to take it up again. It's like when I take off those dirty, stinking pair of piggy overalls and then put them back on again the next morning. Now, we seem to regular, regularly have Michael confessions up here. This is another confession of mine. Sometimes... I find myself doing this in my Christian life. Do you? We know that Christ has given us this new way of living. We've repented. We've left our old life. We've taken off our old self. But then there's something about the old self that sort of uh, starts drawing us back again. And we start putting that old self back on again where the old self just creeps back. Our hearts, they used to be soft and teachable. God's word used to mould us and shape us. But then we start to harden ourselves against God. Pride creeps back on in. Arrogance gets a hold of us. Impure thoughts appear. And instead of chasing them away, we yield to them. And then they develop into impure actions. And then we begin to blend back in with the world all over again. We were taken out of the world And there's a contrast between what we were and what we are now. But then we start blending back in again. And some of us will have different different sins that draw us. For some of us it will be swearing or coarse joking. For some it will be unforgiveness. For some it will be gossip. For some it will be corrupting talk. Now, you know what corrupting talk is? Corrupting talk is unnecessary, untrue or unkind comments that do nothing for the body of Christ and do everything to destroy it. For some it will be bitterness, something that we harbour deep down in our hearts. Wrath, anger. And here Paul actually lists anger in all of its forms from, from an inner resentful attitude um, the attitude we'd sometimes see in teenagers, (laughs) to an indignant outburst 
to seething rage, to full-on public shouting match, abusive language and cursing. Now, if any of that stuff seems to be making a reappearance in your life, guess what that is? It's the old self coming back again. And you're not on your Pat Malone. It happens to all of us. And Paul commands, the Apostle Paul insists in the Lord with all of the authority of God not to go back to our old life. Instead, he shows us the positive. You know, I, I hate it when, when all we can do is get the negatives and we just hear the bad news. Uh, yeah, you can, yeah, that's all really good and nice, Michael. I, I know sometimes I go back to the old self. But here's the positive. He shows us what, what God does want to do in our lives. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteous and holiness. And what does that mean? Um, most of you probably know we're actually getting a few renovations done in the house at the moment. We, we've just bought a house, we, we took delivery of it and, and we set ourselves three weeks to get everything done and get it all nice and spick and span before we move in because there's nothing worse than trying to do the renovations before you move in. Hey, well, we're actually going to fail. It's going to take us three weeks and one day but I think we haven't done too bad. We haven't done too bad. But we've been getting these renovations done and I've been working on it myself and as well. And during the week, the last couple of weeks, the painter has been there and he's been doing all of his preparations and he's he just spent so much time in the preparation. Um, he's been doing a lot of plastering and patching holes and sanding stuff back and, and getting it all nice and so on. Now the thing is, and I could see the real difference that he's making and Robin had come every couple of days and go, wow, I can't believe the difference. And um, Well, I could because I saw all the work that was going into it. But I was also very aware that what I was doing could impact negatively on what the painter plaster a fellow was doing because um, I had to be really careful to see that I didn't interfere with his stuff. So I've actually spent a fair bit of time up in the ceiling and he's been patching a big heap of holes that have been up in the ceiling from where we've pulled out the old air conditioner vents. And, and I know that if I put any weight anywhere near any of those patches you know, before they're properly cured and everything, that it's just going to... What's it going to do? It, what's it going to do, Jake? You know stuff about houses. It's just going to crumble and break and push out of shape and, and stuff. And, and likewise, he's been patching all of these holes in the walls and sanding them back and so on. And I know that if I walk in there with a ladder and, and carelessly turn and run into a wall and punch a hole in the wall, I don't think my painter's going to be too happy with me, is he? No? Imagine that he's doing this beautiful job and I come along with two left feet and, and muck up all of what he's been doing. I think he's going to be grieved, isn't he? Is that the word that a painter would use? I'm grieved at what you've just done. Gavin the painter was doing this work of transformation and I had to work with him and not grieve him. He was doing the work, but I could have easily grieved him. 
Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. God's Holy Spirit is doing the transformation in our lives. I'm certainly not transformed by my own efforts. No matter how good my efforts might be, no matter how good your efforts might be, you are not being transformed by your own efforts. You're being transformed by God. God gives us the strength to live the new life to which we're called. So what part do we play? Am I just a, a, a passive thing? I just go, oh, right, Lord, this is, here's my life and then God does all of the changes in me and, and I just don't have to take any part in that? What happens? If my life's all going to putty, is that God's fault or is it mine? If the old self is pretending to be like the Rolling Stones and making yet another comeback to her, is that God's doing or is that mine? Some people will tell you that we have no part to play in any of of this. It's all our sanctification is entirely up to God. But I cannot reconcile that logic with the literally hundreds of commandments given by both Christ and the apostles where we are told to do something or told to not do something to increase our righteousness. Biblically, I cannot get around the fact that we do have a part to play. Firstly, we have to eagerly desire God and his holiness. And secondly, we have to work with God in that transformation that he wants to do in us and not grieve him. I'd be bold enough to say that if you have a righteousness problem, you have a love problem. If you truly love God, if you truly love God's holiness, if you truly understand that Christ died on the cross to rid you of your old self, well, you're going to want to be rid of that old self too, aren't you? Did you understand this? Christ died on the cross to rid you of your old self. If you love God, you're going to eagerly desire God and eagerly desire that God will do his transformation in you. We are not simply passive recipients in this new self given by God. We must work with God and not against him. Just like that painter plasterer was doing the work, but I had to work with him and not against him. Because when we don't work with the Holy Spirit, that's when we grieve the Holy Spirit. When I see those old traits of Michael raising his ugly head, I know two things. It's a sure sign that my relationship with God is not going so well. And I also know that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. And when you see your old self coming back, there's two things for you to know. That's a sure sign that your relationship with God isn't going so well. And in it, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
You don't either, do you? So what do we do? If you recognise the old self coming back again, or more commonly, I actually suspect others will notice it before you accept it. That's the way it is with me. Usually my wife will say something to me. She's even, she knows this. She knows what I'm... I didn't even write it there. <laughs> Robin knows when the old Michael's coming back before, the old, before Michael knows the old Michael's coming back. She'll tell me. And we have to accept it. We have to accept that this is not the way that we learned in Christ. We have to give up our self-justification, give up the excuses. Just like an alcoholic cannot begin his recovery until he accepts that he's an alcoholic, we cannot begin to to take off the, the old self and put on the new self until we accept that holding on to the old self is not the way that we learned in Christ. And secondly, we must repent. You know, so often we just have to come back to the basics. Come back to the old start again. How do we get rid of our old self in the first place? Repentance. When our old self comes back again and starts knocking on the door to your heart, how do you get, get rid of him again or her again? Repentance. Thirdly, we put on the new self. Now, this is the one that I look forward to. How do we do that? How do we put on the new self? It's very easily said. It's not so easily done. That's because it all begins in the mind. We can, we can change our behaviours. It's not so easy to change our minds. God does that. The old self draws its life from the futility and the corruptibility of our old mindset. But we're renewed, where? In the spirit of our minds. Now that's something we can't do. God does that. As we turn our thoughts and our hearts towards God, God renews the spirits of our minds. Now there is a daily battle that takes place in your mind and it takes place in mine too. It's a battle for how we use our minds. Do computers ever frustrate anybody here? Probably mainly us old people. <laughs> they frustrate me sometimes. I, I, I used to always have Windows operating systems um, on computers. I used to find that every 12 months... They, they, like they just start getting slower and slower and slower, and, and I, no matter how much I tried to, to, how much care I took to make sure that I didn't load my computer up with stuff, no matter how much care I took to make sure we didn't get any viruses or anything, just through regular daily use and everything, there'd be stuff in there that'd just build up and build up and build up and it'd get slower and slower and slower, till it got almost unusable, unbearably. And what I used to find is that. You know, the, the registry would all get clogged up and then there'd be stuff getting corrupted and all the sorts of stuff that I have no idea what I'm talking about. But some of you might, I don't know. But I used to find that every 12 months, the only way that I could speed the thing up again would be to save all of my really important files, format the hard drive and reinstall everything afresh. 
And then it'd be just like having a new computer again. It'd be just as fast as it always was. Um, and then it'd be good for another 12 months. But there was a daily battle happening in the operating system of that computer. Right? There was all of these little systems and processes and everything that over time had taken hold of the thing and it would just slow it down and slow it down and slow it down. And it was a daily battle that was corrupting it. And our minds can get filled up in much the same way as that. Our minds have a daily battle that we face. And when you're close to God and you fill your mind up on God, the Holy Spirit has open slather to do his wonderful work. And the new self, created after the likeness of God, comes out in true righteousness and holiness. When we fill our minds up in what is good and pure and holy, that's when the new self takes on life. But when we fill our minds up with junk, that's when the corruption sets in. The spirit of our minds is renewed as we renew our relationship with God. You want yourself to become more like God? Well, get closer to God because he rubs off on you. As we soften our hearts toward God, as we pray and read the scriptures, and not just reading the scriptures, but meditating on God's word and praying through it. Well, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? Lord, make your scripture touch me deep in my heart. Loving God, worshipping God, loving others, forgiving others just as Christ forgave us. As we renew our relationship with God, the Lord renews the spirit of our minds and we put on the new self. The new self has been created after the likeness of God. True righteousness. True holiness. There's nothing, nothing fake about it. You know, sometimes I feel like I am a fake. Sometimes I feel like I am a fraud. Hey, I'm supposed to be a Christian. I'm, I, I'm supposed to be, be a good guy. I'm supposed to not be sinning, but here I am sinning yet again. I see some noddings of heads and I think you're identifying with that. But when God does his work in us, there's nothing fake about it. True righteousness. True holiness. We don't pretend to be righteous. We are righteous. We don't pretend to be holy. We are holy. Because God is the one who has saved us. God is the one who has redeemed us. God is the one who has taken our sins away. And God is the one who transforms us. Now I'm going to say something and you're just going to have to trust me in this because sometimes um, we get into the idea oh, that, that there's no hope for me. Now I'm going to tell you there is hope for you. There is hope for you. There is hope for me. 
Because if there's one thing that God can do, it's to create stuff. And God is holy and he wants to create holiness. And guess where he wants to create it? In us. There's hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your patience. Lord, we thank you for the new self that you give us. A self of purity and holiness. A new self of righteousness, holiness and love. But Lord, sometimes we've loved our old self too much. That old self who gives us permission to hold on to anger, the old self of unforgiveness, the old self of gossip or slander or impurity or violence. We've hardened our hearts against you. There's areas of our lives that it's like we've put tape around them and set off limits. God forgive us. Lord, renew your righteousness in us. Deepen our relationship with you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And give us your life where we receive true righteousness, true holiness. Your life which gives us peace and truth and love. Lord, transform us and help us to live as the transformed creatures that we are. Amen.